Welcome to episode 64 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. If you want to burn fat, gain energy, and enhance your health by changing when you eat, not what you eat, with no calorie counting, then this show is for you. I'm Melanie Avalon, author of What, When, Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And I'm here with my co-host, Jen Stevens, author of Delay, Don't Deny, Living an Intermittent Fasting Lifestyle. For more on us, check out ifpodcast.com, melanieavalon.com, and jenstevens.com. Please remember, the thoughts and opinions on this podcast do not constitute medical advice or treatment. So, pour yourself a cup of black coffee, a mug of tea, or even a glass of wine, if it's that time, and get ready for the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. One more thing before we jump in. Did you know that common ingredients found in skincare and makeup products can actually disrupt your endocrine system? These endocrine disruptors are a silent threat that can have significant impact on your health, including something that is very important to me, fertility. Your skin is your body's largest organ and what you put on it matters. Endocrine disruptors are chemicals that interfere with the natural hormonal communication in the body. It also matters during pregnancy. And that's one of the reasons I pay close attention to what I put on my skin while being pregnant. Studies have shown that exposure to endocrine disruptors can affect both male and female fertility. For women, these disruptors can lead to irregular menstrual cycles, ovulation issues, and even polycystic ovarian syndrome or PCOS. In men, they can reduce sperm quality and quantity, making it even more challenging to conceive. But it's not just about fertility. When it comes to fat loss, one of the reasons that endocrine disruptors can get in the way of fat loss is because a lot of our toxins are actually stored in our fat. It's a way that our bodies protect us from those toxins. These toxic compounds can even work synergistically, amplifying their harmful effects and making it that much harder to shed unwanted body fat. All of these reasons are why I am obsessed with a company called Beauty Counter. The founder actually started the company when she learned about the potential dangers of toxic chemicals and their link to health issues, specifically miscarriages and infertility. While pregnant, I make sure to only use Beauty Counter products. It's one of the only makeup lines that is officially recommended from the Environmental Working Group. What really sets Beauty Counter apart is their unwavering commitment to protecting us, the consumers from the hidden dangers that lurk in conventional beauty products. Beauty Counter goes above and beyond, rigorously screening every single ingredient that goes into their products, ensuring that they are safe, clean, and free from harmful toxins. They're not just a beauty brand, they're a movement for change, advocating for stronger regulations in the beauty industry. With Beauty Counter, I know that I can trust that the skincare and makeup that I use are not only effective, but also safe for me and my family. They have skincare lines for every skin type, as well as so many other incredible products. I absolutely love their overnight resurfacing peel. It's my favorite way to get anti-aging benefits in 
in a skincare product. The makeup is absolutely amazing. I have tried alternative beauty products in the past and none of them truly performed. But with Beauty Counter, the foundation is so amazing. It makes me feel like my skin can breathe and it looks so dewy and beautiful. You can shop with me at beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. New customers can use the code CLEANFORALL20 for 20% off their first order. Beautycounter.com slash Vanessa Spina. All right, friends, now back to the show. Hi, everybody, and welcome. This is episode number 64 of the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. I'm Melanie Avalon, and I'm here with Jen Stevens. Hi, everybody. How are you today, Jen? How was the cruise? Oh my gosh, the cruise was amazing. I cannot even express how great it was. Um, For those of you that don't know, we had 55 members of the, I guess, Delay Don't Deny community go on this cruise. It was our very first cruise. We're calling it the inaugural cruise because we already have another one planned (laughs) for March of 2019. But um, we had 55 people that are from the Facebook groups and um, they came from, I mean, really, we had people from Botswana and Denmark and Hungary that came. We sailed out of Florida, and it was just amazing. I mean, the, the people from Botswana, um, they traveled for 22 hours to get to Florida to go on oh, this wow. cruise. I know. It was amazing. I cannot even express. I was so nervous. I mean, I was so nervous. I'm like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> we're going to meet these people. You know, I, there were two that I had ever met in person. One was a girl that went to college with me. I haven't seen her since I graduated in 1990, but she came. It was so much fun to catch up with her. And then a, a person who teaches or taught with me, she still teaches. I don't teach. But um, a coworker from my school um, stayed in the – was one of my roommates. She was on the cruise. But other than those two people, I'd never met another one of the people face-to-face. So, of course, you worry. You know, what's it going to be like? Am I going to like them? Are they going to like me? But I tell you what, it was like we were a long-lost family that had known each other for decades. I cannot even express how much fun we had. I saw all the pictures, and it looked amazing. And you looked amazing, by the way. Thank you. Thank you. We were, like, going down the water slide, and we were dancing in the nightclub. I mean, (laughs) we had so much fun. We were evangelizing (laughs) about intermittent fasting everywhere we went. So it was fabulous. Well, I hope I can join next year, hopefully. Well, we would love it. We're going in March, March um, 3rd through 9th. We're sailing out of Port Canaveral. And we have an actual cruise group for the um, for people who may be interested. Search for Delay Don't Deny Cruise Group on Facebook. And you do have to answer some questions to join. So make sure you do that. But if you're interested in going on the cruise, you have to book it through our um, our coordinator and she, it's, it's to get the group together, you know, to be a group and to get to have group events. Like we got a group cocktail party, for example, the fact that we had a certain number of people in our group, we got to go have a, a cocktail party together that, that carnival, we went, it was a carnival cruise, but carnival, you know, hosted us for this. It was like no charge or because we had enough people in our group. So the more people that go, the more group perks we get, but you have to book through the group. So I don't know, 55 was a great number, so we'll see how it goes. So for listeners, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 64, I'll put a link there to that group so you can join if you're interested in joining next year. But first of all, to start things off, so we do have some exciting announcements. So we often get questions about bone broth 
We actually recently discussed it in episode 60. And while ideally we would all be making our own bone broth, <laughs> um, which you can totally do, and I actually have a recipe for it in my book, What When Wine, but a lot of people just want the convenience of buying bone broth ready-made. But it's really difficult because most of the bone broths you see in the store and the, the chicken broths and the meat broths, they all have lots of additives added to them. They're typically made with conventional bones from conventionally raised livestock. And honestly, they might be doing more harm than good. So we did a lot of research. We wanted to find a bone broth that we could confidently recommend to listeners to use. And we just have settled on Kettle and Fire because we looked at their bone broth and it's made with only organic ingredients. It's made with only grass-fed organic bones. It's hormone and antibiotic-free. It's actually shelf-stable for two years, even though it has no additives or preservatives, which is huge. And it's also shipped in responsible packaging. It's 100% recyclable. Basically, it fits the bill for a bone broth that we can recommend to listeners. So we reached out to Kettle and Fire and told them about our interest in their product and how we wanted to recommend them to listeners. And we are thrilled to announce that they have been just so amazing. First of all, they're sponsoring this episode of the podcast. So thank you so much, Kettle and Fire. We really appreciate it. Yay! And then secondly, they're giving us a special deal for listeners, which is super awesome as well. So if you go to our website, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 64 or ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like, we're going to have a link there to the Kettle and Fire Bone Broth. And if you click on that link and then if you use the code ifpodcast, you will get 10% off your order, which is super awesome. There's no minimum for that order, but it is limited to one per customer. So that's really, really awesome. And then things get even more awesome. So Kettle and Fire would love to do an Instagram giveaway with us. We love Instagram giveaways. Basically, our Instagram handle is ifpodcast. So if you go to our Instagram, you're going to see a picture there. Follow our account, follow Kettle and Fire and comment on that picture your favorite intermittent fasting benefit and then we're going to do a drawing and the winner will receive six cartons of their chicken bone broth which is just super awesome super appreciated super fun so definitely check that out and just in case you're new to our podcast or are not familiar with the benefits of bone broth I will briefly recount all of the benefits because there are so many. So actually on that previous episode, on episode 60, Jen and I had quite the debate about bone broth versus meat broth versus stock and all the things, but the official kettle and fire definition of their bone broth, it's basically made from animal bones and connective tissue, and it's been boiled into a broth and slow simmered for 10 to 20 hours with herbs, vegetables, and spices. And the reason bone broth is just so amazing is today we often eat basically muscle meats. So we eat like chicken breasts, filet mignons, things like that. And while that's all delicious, we're not eating the whole the whole animal <laughs> as it were, like we used to historically as a, um, as a species. And it's really the other parts of the animal where we get so much of the nutrients. So when you make bone broth, you're really pulling nutrients out of those bones and really, really just getting tons of nutrition that your body can use. 
For example, bone broth is really rich in something called type 2 collagen as well as gelatin. And basically, 30% of our of the protein in our body, which provides structure, helps membranes, skin, like so many things, actually 30% is collagen. And we don't really get collagen in our diet easily anymore, but bone broth is super rich in it. And by taking that in, it, it can help relieve joint pain. It can soothe your digestive tract, really help rebuild that gut lining, maintain bone density, boost your immunity, improve sleep quality, just so many things. It's also rich in specific amino acids. For example, it's rich in glycine and glycine is amazing for the body. It's actually really, really important for sleep. And I listened to a really interesting episode, podcast episode by Chris Masterjohn, all about glycine. Um, It was called Why You Need Glycine, a panel discussion. So I'll put a link to that in the show notes, ifpodcast.com slash episode 64. But basically we need glycine. Uh, we, We need it for sleep. We need it to counteract the um, the stimulating effects of eating just muscle meats. So um, glycine is really important. Bone broth is also high in glutamine, which is actually the most abundant amino acid in the body. People often take it as a supplement because it's super supportive of the gut lining, but you can get it in its natural form in bone broth. Bone broth is also really rich in just minerals across the board because it, it pulls those from the bone. It's got calcium, copper, iron, magnesium, manganese, potassium, sodium, zinc, just basically all the things, all the things. And I actually found one really interesting study. It was called, it was about chicken soup, (laughs) but it was called chicken soup inhibits neutrophil chemotaxis in vitro. I know that's like big words, but basically what they found in it was that there's something in, in the broth, which is very anti-inflammatory and just in general bone broth can be super anti-inflammatory sort of a wonder food that you can take in and um actually when I wrote my book what when wine and I was looking for recipe or I was looking for somebody to develop the recipes for that I actually reached out to chef Ariane Resnick because I'd read her book the bone broth miracle which was all about bone broth and the amazing things that it can do And actually, she's the one who made the recipe for my book for bone broth, but that's how important I realized it was. It was basically the determining factor in who I decided to make the recipes for my book. Although we do want to address one thing, and that's whether or not you can have bone broth during the fast. And so we actually have a question right about that. So I will read this question from Caroline, and the subject is bone broth. And Caroline says, hi, I tried to do some searching to see if you'd already answered this question, but I didn't find anything. Do you recommend drinking bone broth while fasting? I've been fasting for about three weeks and I've already lost weight and feel great. I normally work out first thing in the morning and have a cup of bone broth before I do. I still count this as part of the time I'm fasting, but I'm curious if that's actually the case. I found mixed results when looking online to see if it impacts blood sugar. Thanks for your help, Caroline. Caroline, I do have some bad news about about bone broth while fasting. It actually is a food. Um, You know, we've talked about all those great things. Melanie just mentioned, you know, it's got amino acids, it's got collagen, it's got gelatin. It's, It's a food. So you need to make sure that you have bone broth. You know, it'd be great to open your window with bone broth. Or you could even, if it was wintertime, I could imagine closing my window with bone broth or having it in the middle of your window. But um, no, you do not want to have it during the fast. So that, um, you know, you mentioned blood sugars. 
you know, um, Caroline mentioned whether it impacts your blood sugar level, but that's not the only thing that you have to keep in mind during fasting. So if you're only worried about blood sugar or insulin, that's not the only thing. We also don't want to ingest protein and, and food-like things during our fast. And so bone broth would fit into that category. So that's for straight up intermittent fasting, the way that we advocate practicing it, the way we do it as a daily life. So you're not going to want to be having bone broth as your daily during your intermittent fasting. That said, a lot of people will do healing protocols where they will do straight up just bone broth fasts. And that's that's a different thing. I do feel really comfortable recommending that as a healing protocol. So that's basically where you would just be having bone broth <laughs> only for you know, however many days that you do it. But that that's different from intermittent fasting as we practice it. So that's something you can totally do. I mean, a bone broth fast. Um, you can do it, see if you heal from it, which I really think that you likely will. But that is not the same thing as intermittent fasting. So right. um, I really like, like Jen just said, and I've said before, I think it's a really great way to open your window because that's when your your body is just really ready to take in all those nutrients. And, and I think that's, um, it's really nourishing doing, just sipping on that while you're cooking your meal or whatever that you have. And, and now if you try the, the kettle and fire bone broth, it can already be made. So you can just, there you go. Pop some in the, in the oven, warm it up. <laughs> and we also have another question. So this isn't specifically about bone broth, but it's something that bone broth could potentially help with. All right. Would you like me to read this one from Lorraine? Sure. Okay. The subject is diverticulitis. And Lorraine says, hi, ladies. I love the level of detail and the research you do. Thank you for the much needed information. My question is regarding digestive health. I was diagnosed with acute diverticulitis on my 39th birthday. It was a shock as I was in prime physical condition and could have worn my high school cheerleading uniform. I had a lifelong history of chronic constipation, which probably was a main cause. Over the years, attacks have come and gone. This was 16 years and 30 pounds ago. Now doctors are seriously talking about removing my sigmoid colon, which I want to avoid at all costs. When I am in an attack, doctors put me on a liquid diet consisting of clear liquids at first and then anything, milkshakes, jello, and soups. The antibiotics can be hard on the stomach, so they allow crackers, too. They restrict any food with fiber, which is any fruits and vegetables. It really stopped making sense to me as I've had, I have been trying to avoid sugar, gluten, and dairy for the past two years for digestive and other health reasons. So basically, when my gut is inflamed, doctors recommend eating inflammatory foods. I found IF through researching gut health, and it makes so much sense to me to rest the gut and then to provide nourishment. Since I started IF three months ago, I have lost 10 pounds, but have had another diverticulitis attack, which messes with IF having to take antibiotics with food. I have two questions. One, have you come across any studies or data on using IF for extended day fasting to heal or reverse diverticulitis? Number two, what supplements, foods, or remedies would you recommend to heal my colon? Thanks so much for all the help you provide this community. Gratefully, Lorraine. So, Jen, have you seen anything in the Facebook groups about diverticulitis? Not that I can recall, but, you know, with 100,000 members and posts happening faster than I can keep up, that doesn't mean <laughs> that they haven't. <laughs> it's not something I've heard a lot, but probably people have talked about it, but I can't recall specifically. No. Okay. Well, 
Lorraine, first of all, thank you so much for your email. So sorry to hear about your condition. That really puts things in perspective, at least for me personally, because I struggle with IBS and things like that. So hearing about an issue that is that extreme, that just really puts things in perspective for me. And I really, really wish you the best with your healing. And I know that you can heal and not, hopefully not have your your sigmoid colon removed. And so first of all, everything that you said, Lorraine, I agree with that you you think it's probably a little weird to be eating an inflammatory diet because the first thing that I would recommend, and we, Jen and I are not doctors, we can't say this will ap- absolutely heal it, but we can just give some general overview of some things that might help. And the first thing that I would recommend is definitely exactly what you said, Lorraine, choosing a diet that is reducing inflammation. So for listeners who aren't familiar what diverticulitis actually is, it's basically a GI disease where there's inflammation of pouches, which are called diverticuli in the large intestine. So since it is an inflammatory condition, that's why an anti-inflammatory diet is key. So I think you're right on with avoiding the sugar, the gluten, and the dairy. Definitely, definitely uh, keep those out like you've been doing. I think that that's a really good choice. I do agree with the doctors about doing the the low fiber and the more liquid type foods. Some foods that are particularly healing, and this is where we come back to the bone broth. (laughs) So that is something that could be really, really healing for your colon. So I'd really, really suggest... Um, you can either make your own like we've talked about before. So with that, you're just going to get the the bones from, for example, like Whole Foods will often have grass-fed bones and you can simmer it in an instant pot or a slow cooker. Or you, you can check out that kettle and fire bone broth and uh, have that as well. And actually, Jen, did you know they have soups and things like that? Kettle and fire? I did not know that. That's awesome. Yeah. So they actually have, in addition to the straight up chicken broth and then the bone broth, they have some soups that are all already made with the bone broth. Oh. Lorraine, that could be something actually really perfect for you in this situation because it's a liquid diet, it's a soup diet without inflammatory compounds, but made with healing bone broth. So I would actually really, really recommend trying something like that. Yeah, I think that's a good idea. All right, I have something I do want to add, Lorraine. And um, Melanie made a great point that we are not doctors, so please do not look to us for your medical advice. However, there are different types of doctors that you might could go to who would have more of a holistic type approach rather than let's just, you know, cut out part of your colon. So if you go to um, a functional medicine doctor, they actually are looking for the underlying cause of the disease instead of just let's, let's, you know, cut out that sigmoid colon. So if you go to, if you search functional medicine on Google or anywhere, you can actually find, there's like a a website that helps you find practitioners of functional medicine that may be in your community. So you can go in and, um, search for practitioners that are near you. That's what I would do. If I were having a, a medical condition and it seemed like conventional doctors were not working for me, I would immediately find a functional medicine doctor. And and they will, they will partner with you to figure out what could help, what's going wrong, instead of just let's, you know, do the standard medical care. That, that would be what I would do. No, I think that's a wonderful, I think that's a perfect suggestion. I agree completely. Because... 
I think it's important to have a trained doctor guiding you when you have this serious of a medical condition, right? You know, we all are great at searching for our own solutions on the internet. We're taking charge of our own health, but sometimes you really do want a trained medical practitioner. And that is that I mean, frequently you do very often you do. <laughs> so that is where a functional medicine doctor can help you bridge the gap between traditional medicine versus, you know, totally trying to DIY your own care, which is not something that, that we recommend. And I actually did, I was looking for studies on fasting and diverticulitis specifically, and I didn't really find anything um, from searching, but I did find that something pretty interesting. So they did a, a analysis of the fecal microbiome in patients with diverticulitis and patients without it. And they actually found, this was pretty interesting, that the the patients with diverticulitis often had greater bacterial diversity. That's which, interesting. Yeah. And um, I think this goes back to, I think you it's best to find a diet that supports a low inflammatory state. And so we often focus on you know, more fiber and more bacteria and all those things. And for a while, most people that can be super helpful for others that might actually cause more inflammation, at least in the short run. Um, that's why I often talk about Dr. Michael Ruscio's book, Healthy Gut, Healthy You. And he discusses that issue a lot, really just finding the diet for you personally that reduces inflammation, because that's going to be the main key is reducing the inflammation. And so that also ties back in, Lorraine, to what you were saying. The doctors were recommending, you know, less fiber and stuff. And I think that that might put your mind to ease, <laughs> to rest, uh, to ease a little bit about that issue. If you feel like, oh, I'm not having enough fiber because I'm not feeding my gut microbiome, that maybe for you and your specific case, you can find an anti-inflammatory diet that will still support a microbiome, but it'll just be different than other people's microbiome. In the end, you're looking for a diet that's anti-inflammatory. Yep. That makes your body feel good. All right. So just to recap, we're so thankful to have Kettle and Fire as a sponsor of this podcast. For listeners, if you'd like to get your ready-made bone broth and then maybe someday you can start making your own as well, which would be super awesome, <laughs> then go to our website, ifpodcast.com slash episode 64 or ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like. Click on the link there for Kettle and Fire. You'll see it and enter the code ifpodcast at checkout to get 10% off your order. And then also check out our Instagram. Follow us, follow Kettle and Fire and comment your favorite intermittent fasting life benefit. And you can possibly win six cartons of chicken bone broth from Kettle and Fire. And that would be super awesome that maybe you can do a bone broth fast. <laughs> Yay. All right. On to the next question. Okay. So our next question comes from Ivana and the subject is fasting from fasting. And Ivana says, hi girls. I love your podcast. I've only just discovered them a month ago. I'm powering through them and, and am almost up to date. I had a question. Sorry if you've covered this and I haven't gotten to the episode yet, but I've done the 16-8 fast since January, 2017 with trying to do a 24-hour fast at least once a week or fortnight, depending on my schedule. I have not once in the past year and a bit broken the fast early. This is even with traveling frequently for work and going on small holidays. In August this year, I've had, I have a 10-day trip to Bali planned for my anniversary and birthday. 
and I've considered not fasting for this period so I can enjoy the amazing food of Bali. I can give you a little background on myself. I absolutely love fasting and I have not looked back since I started. It was easy for me to transition into the fasting stage as I was on a low carb keto diet and I didn't realize that this must have been the reason my transition was seamless until listening to your podcast. I've reintroduced non-starchy carbs in my diet since fasting. I've always been fascinated with the body and how it reacts to food and I eat an incredibly healthy diet. I do not have a sweet tooth and my body doesn't digest heavy foods well. So even without dieting or watching what I eat, 98% of the time, I never choose to eat unhealthy. I've also dropped my workouts from five to six days a week to three to four days since fasting, as my lifestyle with work and family had changed during this period too. I was wondering if you could give more insight in how I can go through the 10 days without feeling sick, putting on a lot of weight, or getting into the habit of eating all day again. Would it be optimal to eat throughout the entire day but keep my diet low carb? I don't enjoy unhealthy foods, so I will be eating quite healthy throughout this trip as most of my favorite restaurants and cafes there are clean eating. There is a gym at our hotel, and we have lots of hikes and active activities planned. Would you recommend I work out most days as well? Thank you for your amazing podcast. Love listening to you. Ivana. All right, Ivana. So thank you so much for your question and thought this was perfect timing since Jen did just go on a vacation I did. cruise. I did. So yep. what, are, what are your thoughts, Jen? And, and how does this, like, how was your vacation and how did you handle all of this? And what would you suggest for Ivana? Yeah, this is a great question. And people really do worry about vacations and intermittent fasting and stress about, you know, are you going to have to not eat while you're there? Are you going to feel restricted? Are you going to feel awful if you do eat? And those are all really valid questions. So really approach it with the mindset that you can choose to eat whenever you would like to. You can open your window early, but you don't have to. It's not like required that you eat more just because you're on vacation. It's not required that you don't just because you do intermittent fasting. So for me, I will, I would like to add, this is pretty important, Melanie. For the first time since I've been on a cruise in 2015, 2016, 2017, 2018, while intermittent fasting, this is the first time all throughout those intermittent fasting years that I've gone on a cruise and not felt like I overdid it. So that, that was pretty exciting. Um, the last one I went on, which was August of 17 on day two, <laughs> I had to go to bed early cause my stomach hurt. And, um, I also think it was what I chose to eat that day. I ate some fries by the pool because I was having a, a cocktail and I was like, I'm going to eat these fries and then I'll, you know, to go with this cocktail and my stomach hurt. I couldn't enjoy my dinner, but I, I made better choices on this cruise. And I ate every, I mean, I had fries on this cruise. Don't get me wrong. I had a, a burger. They have a place called Guy's Burgers that is so delicious on the Carnival cruise ship. It's like the best burger, you know, you'll ever have. But I had one of those one day for lunch. But I stopped eating when I'd had enough. And I didn't eat more just because I could. And I didn't, you know, feel like I had to eat every course that was offered. And I might only have had a bite or two of dessert instead of eating all the dessert just because it was delicious. So basically, Ivana, I think you just really need to focus on having maybe an intuitive eating type mindset going into your cruise. I mean, no, you're not going to undo all of the good of intermittent fasting with 10 days off. You probably will refill your glycogen stores though. And when you get back, you'll feel tired 
and you might be lethargic for a few days. I needed a nap the first couple of days back from this cruise um, as I got back down to the end of my glycogen stores and was able to get back into ketosis again um, after that. But just be mindful and don't overstress about it. Go with the flow. If everybody's going to a, a wonderful place for breakfast, look and see what's there. Have it if you want it. Maybe you won't want lunch. Maybe you'll just have a little bit of lunch. Now, the other part of your question was about um, working out. And I love this question, too. Somebody asked me if we all worked out while we were on the cruise. And I said, yes and no. Because as far as I know, nobody went to the gym. You know, they have a gym on board the ship. And a lot of people go to it, you know, to work off that cruise food. We did not do that. Instead, we walked in the sand you know, we walked all the way down the beach to find a great location with our beach chairs when we were on the on the private island. We took the stairs whenever we could instead of taking the elevator. We danced in the nightclub. Um, we swam in the pool. We swam in the ocean. This was actually kind of funny, Melanie. We were on a private island, and it, the place where we ended up sitting was under these beautiful trees. So we had good shade. We got filtered sunlight, but it was the Bahamas, so you don't want to get too much sun. Um, and plus it was hot. So we stayed in the shade, but then we went out into the water and the place that we happened to go was the less populous side of the island. Well, it turns out the reason is because there was a big reef, <laughs> like the whole, it was just reef, not sandy beach. I mean, the, the beach was sandy, but under the water it was not. So we start trying to walk out there. And we were like slipping on the rocks. And we're lucky nobody lost a toe. We were crawling. I mean, we got the best workout you probably ever would have gotten in your life. Just from, like we, we figured out if you did a combination crab crawl and breaststroke through the shallow water, you could get farther out without like slicing yourself up on the reef. It's probably a really bad idea. We really needed water shoes. We didn't know that. But we got so much of a workout just by living our lives and Ivana mentioned that she's going to be doing hiking. She's going to be doing active activities. I would just do that, you know, because that's really how I prefer to live my life anyway, you know, doing my arm workout as I helped my husband carry boards yesterday. We went to Lowe's. We got some boards because we're working on replacing some boards of our deck. You know, that worked out my arms a little bit. I didn't have to lift weights. I lifted boards with my husband. Or if I go to Costco and lift, um, you know, a case of San Pellegrino, that I've Focus on, hmm, this feels good. I'm lifting something heavy. So eat healthy like you're planning to do, Ivana. Eat mindfully. Pay attention to when you feel satisfied and stop, even though there's still some beautiful food on your plate. And that'll keep you feeling light and healthy the whole time. And then instead of doing official workouts, just live an active lifestyle like you're already planning. And also ditch the guilt. No guilt at all. It's possible that you'll, you know, quote, gain weight on your cruise, I mean, not your cruise, but on your, on your trip to Bali. But I would probably not weigh myself for about a week after getting back if you are aware, because yeah, you'll, you'll be up on the scale, but it's unlikely that you will have gained a lot of fat. It's just a matter of having all, you know, you have more food volume in your system than you're used to. And when you have more food in your system, it causes an increase on the scale because also our body retains water to process the excess food. So you have the weight of the food, you have the weight of the water you're retaining. Also, traveling just makes you retain water. Um, one other thing, when you are leaving Bali and going back to your home, wherever that is, although I have a feeling maybe it's it's somewhere um, where you say things like Fortnite, so probably not America, but when you're going back home from Bali, 
fast on the trip. You know, we've talked before on the podcast about how fasting while you're traveling can help with jet lag. So I would highly encourage you to fast while traveling. You don't want to eat all that, you know, airport food anyway. So that'll get you right back to feeling like yourself again. So what would you say to Ivana, Melanie? To start things off, Ivana, I mean, it sounds like you've really got your diet in line and you've got your physical activity in line. So honestly, I wouldn't worry about it at all. I wouldn't say an extreme on either way. Like, so for example, I wouldn't say, oh, I'm going to intermittent fast the whole trip. And then I, but I wouldn't say, oh, I'm not going to intermittent fast at all this trip. I would just let each day come as it may. And, you know, you can stick to your intermittent fasting pattern if it works on some days. And then on, like you said, Jen, if there's a, you know, a breakfast or lunch or something that you'd really like to partake in, then you can. Yep. Um, Because it sounds like you're at a really good place with your, with your choices and your food choices. You're at a really good place health-wise. You're at a good place um, digestive-wise, which is a big thing for me. So, yeah, I would say enjoy the trip. Don't stress about IF. Just know when you come back that if you do gain some weight, like Jen said, it could just be, you know, actual like literal food or it could be water weight. It could be a lot of things, but just know that you can always go back to IF. So it's not like you're stopping forever. It sounds like one of your fears is that you're going to get back into the eating constantly pattern and that it's going to be hard to go back to IF. But Honestly, just speaking from my recent experience with experimenting with uh, eating during the day sometimes, that you really look forward to IF. Mm-hmm. Once you really appreciate IF and realize how it makes you feel, it's really not hard to go back to. That's so true. I, I mean, it, the only thing that might be hard is that you might have to deal with a little bit of more hunger or appetite just because of the change in your body. But once those mental processes have changed and, and your perspective about IF has changed, you no longer have the fear surrounding IF, so you, you kind of really look forward to it. Oh, yeah. It feels good to get back to it. I'm happy to be back to it. I don't want to eat all day. Now, I will say one other thing because um, people are often curious about this. The earliest I opened my window on the cruise was 11. And actually, probably I didn't open it right at 11, but we went to brunch at 11 on the sea day. There's a sea day brunch that was really good. Um, so we went to that, and so – 11 was when I said, all right, I'm going to this brunch. So probably we didn't get anything until probably 11.20. But, you know, we didn't go get right up. And, like, when I used to cruise, when I was overweight, before I did intermittent fasting, like, I swear to you, if the dining room was open, we were there. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh, they're starting breakfast at 8 a.m. or 7.30 a.m. So we had breakfast, then we had lunch, then we had dinner, and then we had snacks. And, oh, my gosh, we really did eat all day. <laughs> It was so much nice, nicer not to do that. I know. I, I do often think about that, like how I used to be just as far as I would literally be eating a meal, like a breakfast meal, especially on vacation, and be thinking, okay, where are we going to eat for lunch? Right. Or like I'd wake up and think, where are we going to eat for lunch and for dinner? Like it, it was just, that's all you thought about. I remember <laughs> being on a vacation with my husband and my children at the beach one time years ago. Again, it was I was not doing intermittent fasting. And we had been on vacation and it was time to go home and I wanted to go eat breakfast. And my husband said, let's don't eat breakfast. Let's just drive and we'll stop for lunch. I was so mad. I felt like I was being gypped out of a vacation <laughs> meal because that was when I was still in the, the diet mindset. And I was like, I'm on vacation, darn it. I am going to have breakfast at a restaurant. 
And um, I just remember like feeling like I had to have all the meal experiences. And now once you break free from that thought of you must eat all the meal experiences, you can actually enjoy the vacation more. And maybe that's why it was such a great trip on this cruise because we were all so flexible. I mean, no one was like, I can't have that. I'm fasting. No one felt guilty about anything at any time that we were having, you know, mid-afternoon. You know, maybe we had a, a small something at noon one day or, or that burger I had. And then maybe at about four, because we had eight o'clock dinner. Our dinner t- dining time was 8.15. Maybe at about four o'clock, we're like, you know, dinner's still four hours away. Let's go get, you know, some cheese and grapes at the buffet. And we would just munch on that a little bit. Or have a Bloody Mary with some olives. That's a, that's hors d'oeuvres, right? <laughs> that's exactly. What, we actually did that in the afternoon one day. <laughs> Oh, and then I will just speak to the, the exercise thing. I wouldn't stress about it. Only go to the gym if you want to. It sounds like, especially you said you have lots of hikes and activities planned. I think you're good. Yeah. You're going to be expending a lot of energy. Yeah, I was sore from all the, like, the swimming. I mean, my arms, I was like, wow. <laughs> I, I could feel it. All righty. Jen, do you want to read the next question, yes. which also sort of relates? It really does. This is, this is a good follow-up. This is from Rachel. And the subject is how to recover from indulgence days. And Rachel says, hi, Melanie and Jen. I love your podcast. Thanks for all of the great information and friendly delivery. You girls rock. Smiley face. She said, um, I'm 32 years old and have about 20 pounds to lose. I've done calorie restriction for a long time and committed to no counting for the next month to give IF a chance. I just discovered IF and your podcast about three weeks ago and started doing 18.6 with very slow results so far. I've lost about two to three pounds and my clothing feels a bit looser. I recently attended a close friend's rehearsal dinner with a wedding over a two-day period and completely got off my routine. They had a cookie table and an open bar. Oh my. The scale had me up four pounds this morning. Ouch. Hoping that falls back down as my body recovers. I've heard you say that it can take around three weeks on average for someone to deplete their glycogen stores and finally start ketosis. What happens if you have a splurge weekend like this? Does that reset you back to day one with three more weeks until I reach ketosis? Before the wedding, I was feeling very cold extremities, which I heard can mean I'm close to ketosis but not quite there. I have not experienced any ketosis breath and hopeful that when and if I finally achieve ketosis, I'll start seeing some more significant weight loss. Thanks so much for your thoughts. All right. What do you think, Melanie? So first of all, I wanted to touch on something that you said, Rachel. And Jen and I have been talking about this a little bit back and forth. So you said that it takes around three weeks on average for someone to deplete their glycogen stores and finally start ketosis. So I just wanted to clarify that a little bit and give our opinions on that. I can tell you where the three weeks came from, the idea of three weeks. Okay. Dr. Herring in his Fast Five book or Appetite Correction, I'm not sure which one, but he talks about the adjustment period to intermittent fasting being about three weeks until you really start humming along with it. And so he doesn't go into like specifically why that is. And, and he does talk about ketosis in his book, but he doesn't, you know, we, we've since he wrote his first book and even his second book, the community... Um, has gotten a lot more savvy because the keto community has started with intermittent fasting too. And people are a lot more aware and interested in the whole idea of ketosis. So I think when Dr. Herring mentioned it, it was like, oh yeah, you're going to get into ketosis. 
And he, he didn't feel the need to elaborate because really people were like, all right, whatever, I'm just going to fast. I'll feel good. I'll lose weight. That's it. But now people are more interested in the mechanics about what's happening and when am I in ketosis and what's happening with my glycogen and that sort of thing. So he mentioned three weeks for the adjustment period, then you'll start to feel really good and fasting will be easy. So if we think about why would why would fasting start to become easy, well, it has to do with ketosis and depleting your glycogen stores. Now, keep in mind that is not a set. It will take you three weeks to deplete your glycogen. Everyone is the same. No, it is not like that at all. There's so many factors that go into play. How long you're fasting, how long your eating window is. Even what you're eating in your eating window does play a role in this. I mean, if you're keto... In your eating window, clearly it's not going to take you three weeks to deplete your glycogen stores, right? Um, or if you were keto before starting IF, your glycogen stores are already going to be depleted. So there's so many factors. But if you're having a standard diet, you're not watching carbs and you're fasting, maybe having a five-hour-a-day eating window, it might take you three weeks of the intermittent fasting to deplete your glycogen stores. Like one day you fast for 19 hours, you deplete some of them, then you eat. You refill some of them, but not all of them. The next day it goes down a little more. Think of it like a tank. Every day the tank goes down. You put more in, but not as much as you're taking out. So eventually you do get into ketosis. Now it can take some people longer than three weeks. And that is just something we've found with experience and time and anecdotal evidence. Um, people talking in the Facebook groups about when they start to feel the energy of ketosis, when they start getting signs of ketosis, not everyone gets that metallic taste in their mouth. People experience it differently. But the mental clarity, the energy, it can take some people a couple months to get there, depending on, you know, if you're doing 16-8, you might be able to eat enough to keep your glycogen stores, you know, filled up enough that you don't really get there. So, so many factors that go into play. For me, though, I, like I mentioned, we just got off this cruise. I know I refilled my glycogen stores to a degree because I was more lethargic the first couple of days getting off the ship. My body was dragging around. I wasn't feeling that normal mental clarity and energy like I normally do. took me till the third day of just living my intermittent fasting lifestyle with my normal routine to really start feeling like I had that mental clarity back. I was talking to a friend of mine about that just today. She um, works nights. She's a medical person um, and works the overnight shift in a hospital. And she was talking about how she was dragging around and that everybody could tell she felt a little different. So it, it, that's just what happens. Yeah, you're probably going to have some time when you get back to, to adjust. But it shouldn't be, you know, like three more weeks, right? Yeah. So to clarify, so the, the three weeks, that's assuming you're still eating carbs right. in an intermittent fasting protocol. So I really, really want to <laughs> emphasize that. Like an average adult weighing around 150 pounds, let's say. So they're going to store, I mean, it, it varies, but they're probably going to store around 100 grams or so of glycogen in, in their liver. And then they're going to store around like 400 grams of glycogen or so in their muscles. So that's around 500 grams or so of glycogen. So you do have that glycogen in your liver. You have it in your muscles. And it's really complicated and we're not sure exactly what's going on all the time. And I'm sure it varies by people. But in general, this is just what I've seen. I think what you might have seen as well, Jen, 
Um, as long as you have glycogen in your liver, your liver is probably going to be favoring that as its instant fuel source. So you really want to deplete that glycogen in order to get into ketosis. And so like I said, that is around 100 grams or so of glycogen. And then in your muscle glycogen, you're storing carbs as well. But as you become more and more fat adapted, your muscles, they actually switch to start using fat as fuel more than carbs as fuel. So in general, they'll start storing less. And then I think, I mean, it varies by people, but from what we've seen, it seems like it is possible that you could still have some residual glycogen that's stored in your muscles, um, kind of saved for that brief intensity or something like that. But then you could still be in ketosis even with that glycogen. But it, it does seem like the liver glycogen is the thing that's determining your entry into ketosis. So Rachel asked if, if a weekend would reset you back to day one with three more weeks to reach ketosis. And the answer is probably not. I think it would have to be a lot longer. Like it didn't happen to me on my, you know, five day vacation. It did not totally, you know, it took me three days to get back. And Rachel, so you're, it sounds like you're eating, you know, a carb rich diet. The reason I keep hampering on this, say for example, you're following a low carb diet. It's not going to take three weeks to deplete that glycogen unless something is like severely off in your system. Yeah, that's why that's it's an out quote average, right? Yeah. Well, I'm saying so people who do like a, a low carb diet, for example, and specifically try to deplete their glycogen stores, that most people they're going to do it in a few days. Right. Cuz you're not putting it back in. But if you still are haven't putting it back in, if you are doing a lot of carbs in your eating window, then it's a different thing. Right. But once you have been doing intermittent fasting for a while, it rewrites the system in a way. So when you first start doing intermittent fasting, you're, you're training your body to start burning fat as fuel. Your muscle actually literally can change from favoring carbs as fuel to favoring fat and carbs as fuel, both together. And that changes a one-way street. So when you when your muscles make that change they don't go back to pref they don't go back to preferring the carbs so that's an example of how if you've done the intermittent fasting for a while and you have made those changes for fat burning then when you do have a weekend where you splurge and you refill all the glycogen stores and everything it is going to be a faster transition because you don't have to go back and rewrite yeah everything yeah, so basically, Rachel, it's pretty complicated to know exactly what's going on with your glycogen stores, but as far as how long it'll take you to reach ketosis again, it, it will happen again, and it likely will happen faster than the initial right. transition. Yep. If you do want to jumpstart it and you want to get there fast, you could do it in a few days. All, I mean, all you would have to do is, you know, go low-carb do your intermittent fasting, especially if you do some, some facet exercise during your window, especially if you do that exercise near the end of your fast where you really have nothing else to tap into. If you wanted to, you could do it in a few days. Yep. Or you could do a 48 hour fast if it felt great. Never do a long fast as punishment though. That's a very common thing people want to do. They're like, well, I was away for a week, so now I'm going to fast for 72 hours because I was bad on the trip. Don't do that. You know, if you feel like you've had too much to eat and you feel better while you're fasting and you want to deplete your glycogen stores like that, 
that's a good reason. But as you know, as a punishment or retribution, that's not ever a good reason to fast. Fast because it feels good. Don't fast as a punishment. All right. So we have one more question. This question comes from Emily. And so we got this question and it said her email, Emily's email has her last name in it. And it was the name of somebody from my high school. So I, I contacted I contacted her on Facebook and I was like, Emily, did you just send a question to our podcast? And she said, yes. And I was like, why didn't you, why didn't you say that in the email that it was you? Oh, funny story of my friend from college that went on the cruise. We answered her question on the podcast (laughs) months ago. But yeah, it was so cool to know. I mean, we we could be getting all sorts of questions from people we know and we just don't. Yeah. So so if you know us, tell us. (laughs) Tell us. Tell us you know us. (laughs) And you'll probably go on the podcast really quick because Emily sent this question really recently. You'll get the friend trip to the front of the line. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny. I I also realized, and you'll see this when I read the question now that Emily's a teacher. Um, I didn't know that she was a teacher, but but I went on Facebook and I looked her up and I was like, oh, she is a teacher. It has to be her. But anyway, so here is Emily's question. So she said, hey there. So I'm getting really into intermittent fasting lately and I've wondered how naps and or sleeping late impact the process. I'm a teacher on summer break, so I often will sleep in late or take a long nap during the day. I usually try to wait and eat until after I'm awake for the day, but sometimes I will take a late nap and it will be after I eat. All right, so sleeping, napping, and fasting. What are your thoughts, Jen? Um, I mean, really, I don't think it impacts the process at all. (laughs) You know, when you're asleep, you're still fasting, so... I wouldn't worry about it. You'll just have an eating window at whatever time feels right for you. You know, I, up until recently, was a teacher, so <laughs> I'm very familiar with that. Of course, here's here's the side note. I am still incapable of sleeping late. Really? I don't know what's wrong with me. Yeah, I guess, I think it happens naturally when you get older. Um, you really start to need less sleep. I was reading about it because... Um, I was like, why am I still waking up so early? You know, is there a way for me to shift my body towards, you know, sleeping in later? So I was reading about that, and it talked about how women in midlife like me, I'm about to turn 49 at the end of the month, we we do need less sleep. So we wake up earlier. So I cannot sleep late even if I want to. Like my eyes are still waking up at 530. I'm like, ding. You know, I made myself go back to sleep today, so I woke up at 630 and got out of bed. But – you know, I wouldn't stress, Emily, about the, the sleeping. If you're asleep, you're fasting, take a nap, whatever feels right. You're a teacher, you're on summer break, you earned those naps. Lay by the pool, that's a great place to nap too. <laughs> Out in the sun, on the beach, whatever. So we, we've earned that time to have our naps. So have the eating window at whatever time feels right, and then don't stress if you're sleeping, you're fasting. And though she also talks about sleeping after she eats as well. Yeah, that's fine. Nap when you want to. Yep. All I was going to say was um, pretty much the same thing. When you're sleeping, you are still fasting. I mean, obviously, if you're not sleeping and you're doing super intense physical activity, obviously, you're going to be burning more (laughs) in that state. But actually, like sleeping – and fasting, it's actually pretty um, – did you know that sleeping burns about the same amount of calories as watching TV? That doesn't surprise me. 
Yeah. Especially me because I'm one of those active sleepers. Did I mention that before on the podcast about my DNA result? No. You know how I've, I've had my DNA done mm-hmm. um, or analyzed and um, apparently moving around a lot while sleeping is a genetic trait. And I always knew that I did. Like people were always like, you know, I would kick them all night or whatever. But I actually, there's like a continuum of how much you move while sleeping. And I am as far to the moves a lot of sleeping as you could possibly be. Oh, wow. (laughs) I'll have to look up what mine is. I am a restless sleeper. And it's true. I mean, I wake up and the covers are wrapped around my head. I mean, yeah. So... I, I probably burn more energy sleeping than sitting on the couch. I'm also a fidgeter, though, so I think I, I burn a lot of just – that's just my na- – I'm, you know, I'm a, I'm a mover. So, Emily, don't stress about it. And then as far as napping or sleeping after eating, I think that's completely fine as well. I did look up a few things about sleep and digestion that I found were pretty interesting. So, Ayurvedic medicine, for example – They actually say that sleeping a little bit after eating is good for digestion, and I really typically respect the the Ayurvedic approach to eating and everything. I did research the difference between sleeping on the left versus the right side for for digestion. Do you know about that, Jen? Yeah, I've heard that before. Yep. So it seems that resting on the left side after eating is the best best way to go. So your stomach is on your left side, but when you sleep on your left side after eating, it, it sort of like cradles the food and allows it to move along naturally rather than if you're on your right side, then it might ca- cause it to um, prematurely enter the small intestine. So the, the left side seems to be the way to go. That makes perfect physiological sense. I love it. Also something I found that was pretty interesting to me. So gastric emptying is in general slow during sleep, but REM sleep, so that's when you're dreaming, that's actually associated with faster gastric emptying. I don't know. Take take from that what you will, but I just <laughs> thought that that was um pretty interesting. They actually did a study where they looked at all the sleep cycles and how it affected gut motility and everything. That's just a little fun fact. Fascinating. And this was interesting. This is a teacher question. I just got a... Notice from my, my teacher email is officially no good. I just got a password wrong message, so I'm officially not a teacher according to email. <laughs> yeah, I was still getting emails, and I was like, it's been a month. Why am I still getting emails? But all right, that's done. It's official. The email account is no more. That's crazy. Yep. Things are getting real. It's real. <laughs> we have time for one more question, and it is from Nikki. The subject is sugar-free energy drinks, and Nikki says, I have been IF for a little over a year now, and at my heaviest was 248 pounds and now down to 208. I will IF for the rest of my life. I absolutely love it and have never felt better. I do have a question about if a sugar-free rock star breaks the fast. So, long story short, very short, I'm going to say yes, it does break the fast. I mean, on the one hand, yes, the sugar-free energy drinks – they are going to be very stimulating of the, metab- of the metabolism, so they are, in theory, going to support a fat-burning mode and probably make you burn a lot more because you're getting the adrenaline going and all of that, but those, those drinks have a lot of additives, a lot of stuff added to them, and we are proponents of clean fasting and really can't recommend 
unfortunately, the, the sugar-free energy drinks, unless it's straight-up black coffee. There you go. That the best energy drink known to man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. What are your thoughts, Jen? Well, it's exactly that. And um, Nikki, I would like to challenge you to remove those from your fast if you've been using them up until now, and then see if that makes a difference in how you feel during the fast. And we'd love to hear back from you at a later date. Yes. What I used to drink sugar-free energy energy drinks all the time and then stopped drinking them. And then I had one and I got the most searing headache. Uh, I think just from like the additives and things like that in it. So yeah, yeah. I would not, would not go that route. All right. I think that's all we have time for today. Alrighty, so a few things for listeners before we go. So just to recap, this episode has been sponsored by Kettle and Fire, which we love. Speaking of, if you go to ifpodcast.com slash episode 64 or ifpodcast.com slash stuff we like, look for the link for Kettle and Fire Bone Broth. Click on that link, enter the coupon code ifpodcast at checkout and get 10% off. Also, definitely check out our Instagram, ifpodcast. Follow us, follow Kettle on Fire, and comment your favorite intermittent fasting life benefit, and you will potentially win six cartons of Kettle on Fire chicken bone broth, which is super awesome. Awesome. And then also, you can check out our books for more information on intermittent fasting as well as paleo. So my book is What Win Wine, Lose Weight and Feel Great with Paleo-Style Meals, Intermittent Fasting, and Wine. And you can get that at Amazon or Barnes & Noble. You can also get Jen's book, Delay, Don't Deny, and Feast Without Fear, and those are available on Amazon as well. And speaking of, if you do enjoy them, we would appreciate it so much if you could write a review on Amazon. Those reviews really, really help more than, really more than most people realize. Also, if you'd like to subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, you'll get the episodes downloaded automatically every week. You won't even have to do anything. But if you'd like to be reminded about the podcast, you can go to ifpodcast.com. And on that homepage, you can get on our email list. And that's where we send out um, additional show notes, information, especially also special announcements and deals and things like that. Oh, lastly, you can follow us on Twitter, our little new baby Twitter. And that is the IF pod because that was the only handle available. All righty. Any final thoughts from you, Jen? No, I think that's it. All right. I'll talk to you next week. All right. Looking forward to it. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Intermittent Fasting Podcast. Please remember, the opinions we discussed on this show do not constitute medical advice. We're not doctors. Check out ifpodcast.com for more information on us. Theme music was composed by Leland Cox. See you next week. <laughs>